Hi everybody, I am Jen Johnson and you're watching Thought by Thought Healing where I get on here and talk about everything related to chronic pain and how to reverse it. I come at it from a Christian perspective and so if that's important to you then you should subscribe. But today I have the honor of interviewing Dr. David Hanscom. So without further ado, here he is and I hope you enjoy and it is encouraging for your own healing journey. Good morning, everybody. I am Jen Johnson, and you are watching Thought by Thought Healing. And today I am just honored to have with me Dr. David Hanscom. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. A little bit about Dr. David Hanscom. Um, he practiced complex orthopedic spine surgery for 32 years, and he quit his practice in Seattle, Washington to present his insights into solving chronic pain which evolved from his own 15 years of battle with it. He eventually escaped from the ordeal and discovered that mental pain is the biggest issue. Anxiety is the pain. His book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, systematically presents established treatments for chronic mental and physical pain, which, is the, current, which the current medical establishment is overlooking. The self-directed action plan is available at thedocjourney.com and it reflects the approaches of hundreds of patients who have escaped from chronic pain. He recently launched a movement called Dynamic Healing that recognizes the interaction between stress and one's coping capacity. An overwhelmed, or an overwhelmed person subjected to sustained levels of fight or flight hormones will develop unpleasant symptoms and serious illnesses, of which I am very familiar. So um, Dr. David Hanscom, I just discovered a few weeks back your new podcast, Dynamic Healing, and I love it. You and Les Aria have just a great relationship that makes it entertaining to listen to, and it's witty, and just the right amount of science that it's just inspiring. So thank okay. you. <laughs> we have a good time. We get a little rowdy on the air, so I hope it isn't too much. Not at all. It's it's very entertaining. Yes. Yeah. How'd that, well, how'd we, that... we trained each other a lot. He's a pain psychologist. He used to be the head pain psychologist at Kaiser. And uh, oh. I come from a different approach, a more personal experience with it than he has. So we really, really cross-trained each other in a really big way. So um, yeah. good. What, what made you decide to do the podcast together? Well, it's, it's been an evolving process. Um, Basically, what happened with that Ari, he was a head pain psychologist at Kaiser, and he ran across my book, Back in Control, about four years ago, and started to use the book as a resource, and then started to use the concepts. And then he comes from what's called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a very powerful force. And I've said for a long time that Back in Control and the DOC journey, which stands for Direct Your Own Care, is basically acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm -hmm. And Freud said this 150 years ago, is that the essence of health, mental health he was talking about back then, was learning to be with your pain. In other words, emotional flexibility. Mm -hmm. So that's what acceptance and commitment therapy is. And so what's happened, I come from a surgical background. He comes from a very deep pain psychology background. And so we've been able to cross-train each other in a very powerful way. So he started using my book and people started getting better. So he also has had hundreds of patients himself get better. So he already had about 80% of the tools and so did I. And then as he started to create the structure, what the book does is a structured approach to known medical data. In other words, just implement what we already know. And so medicine right now is ignoring the data and that's the first edition. And then what happened, the second edition was published in 2016 it was called the DOC Journey. It's a computer-based course, which really is, is essentially the third edition of my book. What happened two years ago or three years ago now is Dr. Stephen Porges, who is the founder of the polyvagal theory, and his wife, Sue Carter, who is the queen of oxytocin, one of the top scientists in the world on oxytocin, and also women's research, um, their husband and wife team. We started a work group that met twice a month. And what happened he pulled the autonomic nervous system into our clinical care and just exploded what we know, exploded it. So now when I talk to people, I can talk in terms of the body's physiology, yeah. which I'm embarrassed to say I did learn in medical school and I just forget it. And a big part of the problem was that the, with the autonomic nervous system, and that's the system that controls your digestion, your blood pressure, your heart rate, your temperature, all this stuff is controlled by the autonomic nervous system. And it's called autonomic because it's automatic. So what, he, what I had forgotten about, part of the body's defense response that we call threat physiology is inf inflammation. 
your body, so your body, if you have a threat like viruses and bacteria, your immune system fires up, but also other threats like racism, authoritarianism, yeah. uh, financial issues, chronic pain, being bounced around a medical system, all those things are threats. So the research also documents that a mental pain is processed the same part of the brain as physical pain. You have the same physiological response. And since humans can't escape their thoughts, all of us have some sense of threat physiology. So what we've also learned is that thoughts are sensory input and emotions are what you feel. In other words, you're in fight or flight and you're hyper alert and you're tense, your heart's racing, you feel anxious. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get rid of the word anxiety because anxiety is, is just a word that humans use just to describe this fight or flight response. My cat has the same response, but she doesn't have words. So basically anxiety is just an activated threat response. It's a result of a threat. It is not the cause, it's the response. Yeah. So we're, we feel like it's a driving force behind all these psychological diagnoses. In other words, people do anything to avoid this intentionally uncomfortable feeling that humans call anxiety. And when you can't control a situation that's causing that threat, your body kicks in more stress chemicals and you become angry. So anxiety and anger are basically the same thing. So the terminology we're trying to get out into the real world is that let's get rid of the word. Just activated threat physiology. And when I say physiology, it's how the body functions. And anger is a hyperactivated threat response. And when it's sustained, your body's on overdrive. And we've known this for decades and decades that under chronic stress, i.e. threat physiology, people get sick, really sick. Chronic diseases, illnesses, cancer. And what our research group has found out is that every chronic disease, mental and physical, has the same set of problems. There's there's cellular dysfunction. There's there's little things called mitochondria that don't function correctly. Your genetic expression is off. So it turns Mm -hmm. out that anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar, and schizophrenia are all inflammatory disorders. They're physiological states. And we also know that Parkinson's, um, Alzheimer's, cardiac disease, peripheral vascular disease, hypertension, obesity, adult onset diabetes, and others, cancer, are all inflammatory disorders. They're all the same thing. So the thing I'll finish with to really set the stage for the rest of the discussion, and we talked about this before the podcast, is that this survival reaction that's present in every living creature is a million times stronger than your conscious brain. Your your body's processing about 20 to 40 million bits of information per second. I mean, your blood pressure, I'm blinking my eyes automatically, my jaws are moving automatically to speak, I balance correctly, my everything's automatic. That's 20 to 40 million bits of information per second. And my conscious brain is 40, 40, not 40 million, 40. So you have this massive survival reaction that's a threat response. It's designed to be so unpleasant that it forces you to take survival action. The species of creatures who didn't pay attention to the cues didn't survive. So in a way we have survival of the fittest, but we also are survival of the most anxious. So what happens if you try to do mind over matter, talk therapy, et cetera, is a complete mismatch. You can't, it doesn't come close. So there's a lot of ways, and we'll talk about this when we're ready about dynamic healing. You can't control your thoughts. You can't control most of your threats in life. But it's the way you process things that has less impact on your body's chemistry that allows you to heal. And I, I was excited to hear a little bit about your story. So you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. And I've watched hundreds of patients go through this. Yep. Dr. Aria has also seen many, many patients go through this. As you sort of know, it's not that hard in a way, right? It's not hard. It just involves your commitment. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you you mentioning the threat physiology response, and I'm just thinking about um, when you when you before you realize that it's mind body syndrome, um, there's this there's this need to go to the doctor and figure out what's wrong with you, right? right? And 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 
And when you try to do something and cannot succeed, that sends our brain into threat response. Right. Um, and so it just escalates. And for me, the pain got worse the more and more I went to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And right. it just escalated it. Okay. Well, again, there's lots of details in that. There's a lot to unpack with that, which we may not want to unpack today, but animal research shows in primates that when you have repeatedly dashed hopes, people become depressed. One way to induce depression is repeatedly dashing hopes. And as you know, I quit my surgical practice to do this. I practiced yeah. spine surgery for over 30 years in Seattle, a Swedish. And I was the guy, one of the guys in town who took on the most difficult cases, People had many operations before they got to me. I would try to salvage them. And what was disturbing is that when you undergo spine surgery, particularly a fusion, your spine has now been damaged. And so what happens is that the success rate, for instance, of a spine fusion for back pain is, guess what? How much, what, what percent success would you want as a patient? If you had back pain for two years, you're pretty miserable, pretty desperate. And the surgeon said, well, I'm going to fuse you back for your pain. What percent success rate would you want to go through? Because it's a big operation. Yeah. What percent success rate would you want to undergo that operation? Uh, personally, probably like 80 to 90%. Okay. What if I said 50%? I, I wouldn't go for it personally. So what if I told you it was 25%? <laughs> yeah. No, that's what, the, that's, what the, that's what the actual data is, is a 20 to 25% success rate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then what do you think the chances are of making you worse from that operation is 40 to 60%. It's double. It's, we have double the chance of making you worse than you do of getting you better. And the problem is chronic pain is a neurologic, is a neurophysiologic disorder. So you have these pain circuits that keep firing away. And we do know in about six to 12 months that your brain memorizes the pain. The circuits keep firing away no matter what you do. Yeah. A classic example that is phantom limb pain. I mean, for the, the leg or arm is gone, for goodness sake. And why does it still hurt? That makes no sense. Yeah. So that's a huge hint about the nature of chronic pain because we know the brain memorizes everything. I don't have to not touch a hot stove every time I walk past it. Past it because my brain says, no, I know certain foods taste good. Certain foods taste badly. Our brain learns everything. We give meaning to everything. Think about it. Colors texture, temperature, our brains are interpreting things all the time. So with repetition, our brains learn it. It's the same thing with pain. We learn that pain. And what happens, unfortunately, is like a car alarm that, that, you, that won't go off. Yeah, it's terrible. So an acute pain is necessary. People actually cannot survive without acute pain. It's a gift. The impact of chronic pain, which is a curse, the, there's two research papers in particular that have documented that the impact of chronic pain on a person's quality of life is equivalent to having terminal cancer, for goodness sakes. Yeah, I'm 100%. Except, except it's worse. Yep. They said it's actually worse because it was, at least with cancer, you know the diagnosis, you know what's going to happen, either positive or negative, but you know what's going on. In chronic pain, nobody tells you anything and you're bounced around and you lose hope. And it's hard to want to live. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. I would, yeah. We don't, you know, I'm pretty clear in my book. You know, I was actively suicidal. And if you told me I had to live in that state the rest of my life, I'd say, you know, something, this is not really going well. So I merely, I nearly missed it myself. And we do know the suicide rate in chronic pain patients is high. And sometimes it's the only way of escape. Or as you know, you read about the surgeon that was shot in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that surgeon was a colleague of mine at Swedish, and oh, I did write about it, is that when people are trapped and frustrated, they get really angry. And when you're angry, we know that your metabolic energy or the activity of the brain switches from the thinking center, what we call the neocortex, down to the midbrain, which is the survival center, so you actually can't think clearly when you're angry and when you're trapped and you're frustrated. Um, I'm, I'm not justifying this guy's behavior at all, mm -hmm. but it's understandable because that's not who he was. He's trapped. He's frustrated. He's acting out. And we all know when people are angry and frustrated, we end up doing things that we're not very happy about or very proud of, but it's physiological. That's yeah. not when our brain is offline. That's not who we are. Yeah. And when we're in chronic pain, 
we're also operating not out of that cortex, right? We're, right. we're operating in that amygdala that, well, that's, I know that's too simplified, but the emotional part of our brain and we're offline. Right. Yeah. Well, it gets worse than that. And I actually went through this myself is that we do know in chronic pain that people's brains actually physically shrink. Yeah, I've I've been reading that, and right, and yet we recover as we heal, right? Correct. And what happens is that one of the factors we call it brain fog, or whatever you yeah. want to call it, is that you've actually lost brain structure. Your brain's not working correctly. It's not working correctly. Number one, your brain's offline. Number two, if you're chronically angry, and it's a lot of we can talk about that maybe in a separate podcast. But when you're chronically upset, your brain's chronically offline. You're not using as much your brain. But the other problem in fight or flight, the reason why your brain shrinks is that your body is using every cell in your body for fuel. Mm. So it's robbing your tendons and ligaments of what's called glycoproteins, because there's glucose there. You're robbing your brain, your neurons in your brain are actually being robbed of fuel. They actually are cannibalizing neurons for, for fight or flight. Yeah. So the brain physically shrinks. Fortunately, when you treat chronic pain, it re-expands. Yeah. So people's cognition goes down. And again, we know Alzheimer's or dementia is actually a metabolic inflammatory disorder. Again, so chronic pain, again, all these psychological, psychological diagnoses we talked about are all inflammatory states. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was asking somebody recently uh, on Instagram about a post that she did about uh, cytokines, and she told me to ask you about it. And, yeah. he, and then here you are uh, on an interview, which was crazy coincidental. So maybe if you just want to talk a little bit about that, because inflammation is something that people often say, like, I can't, you know, I can't eat these things because of inflammation and, um, and whatnot. Can you talk about the brain's role in that? Well, it, I'm t well, first of all, every cell in the body can survive by itself. We have 30, 20 cells. Every cell can survive by itself in a Petri dish. So the human body is much more complex than a single cell, but every cell can survive as its own little metabolic supply, own little engines. And so the way they communicate with each other is what's called cytokines. They're very small molecules, about eight to nine molecules long, that every cell puts off these what's called cytokines. So your brain itself, the glial cells in the brain, or the supporting structures in the brain, throw off these cytokines. And there's ones that inflame tissues and ones that actually decrease inflammation. So there's inflammatory cytokines and there's anti-inflammatory cytokines. Every cell in the body, the muscle cells, fat cells, liver cells, brain cells, every cell in the body has these cytokines that communicate with each other. So when you're in fight or flight, your brain itself becomes inflamed. So it's an inflammation and increased metabolism that starts shrinking your actual structure of your brain. That's why I think maybe early osteoarthritis, where you lose the cartilage in your legs and knees is chronic inflammation, but it was called, there's a term for it, it's hard to describe this. So with, with acute inflammation, you have inflammatory markers in the body called, the, the measurements is called C-reactor protein or a SED rate, which are obviously markers of inflammation, and you need acute inflammation to survive. If you didn't have inflammation, we wouldn't survive. You have a bacterial infection, you have a fever, that's an inflammatory response. With chronic inflammation, this chronic threat state, none of the markers are elevated. It's just the cytokines are in action and you can't measure those. So your chronic inflammatory states tune up your body's tissues, autoimmune disorders like colitis, um, Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, all these autoimmune diseases, why do those occur? They don't, they don't just happen. So those are extreme examples of a sustained inflammatory response. Yeah. What happens with chronic inflammation, you double the speed of nerve conduction, you increase the sensitivity of the brain. So chronic pain as a result is an inflammatory metabolic condition. So again, that's the, so let me go back to the physiology just for a second to get clear. I'm gonna say a statement really clearly that essentially all your symptoms in your body, 90% plus are based on your body's physiology. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. is blood pressure, is temperature, people say, well, there's nothing wrong. Really? Okay, your temperature is 101 degrees. There's something wrong. Your sodium might be 120, which is way low. There's something wrong. 
if your body's full of inflammatory cytokines, there's something wrong. But if you just picture a car parked on the street, there's no symptoms of that car. You have to turn the car on before whatever is wrong becomes manifested. So the human body is the same thing. And Bruce, Lip do you know who Bruce Lipton, Lipton is by chance? I do. Yeah. yeah, he and I are friends and we just put together a series of four videos on this whole topic. And he has a very blunt point, which some people might be a little bit upset about. It says, what's the difference between a cadaver and a living human being? They both have the same structure, right? Okay. Is energy, your, your, your body, I mean, every atom is space. Every one of us are energy fields within an energy field. Somehow the human bodies evolved in a way to capture this energy. And so you can't have symptoms unless you're alive. So that motion and activity is what we call physiology. Somehow medicine has gone into a mm -hmm. structural mode. Mm -hmm. So if a bone spur is sitting there, that doesn't cause symptoms. In fact, these bone spurs in spine surgery have been documented not to cause symptoms. So let me jump to the surgical part just for a second. Yeah, yes. I'd love to go there actually. Okay, so this is why I quit my practice is that I started, we went through this process. I came out of chronic pain myself. I started presenting these concepts to people. And between my book and my website, we watch hundreds and hundreds of patients go to pain-free with minimal resources, is self-directed. It's now evolved into the doc journey. So I'm watching hundreds of patients go to pain-free like I said before, the success rate of a spine fusion for back pain is 25%. So it's been well-documented that disc degeneration, ruptured disc, herniated disc, arthritis, none of those have been shown to cause pain. Your spine's stiffer, it's not as flexible, but it's just sitting there. It's just an anatomical abnormality that's been well-documented that everybody that ages so, the, so a better term instead of degenerative disc disease would be a normally aging spine. Yeah. Most failed spine surgeries, okay, you have a success rate of 25%. You have a chance of making it worse between 40 to 60%. So if you come to me with back pain and we do an operation on a normally aging spine, we're not going to help you. Right. We're actually physically hurting you. So we're actually damaging your spine. We're traumatizing it. Yeah. When you operate in the presence of a fired up nervous system, you start firing it up even more. And what's become really bad right now, instead of doing one and two level fusions that don't work, we're now doing eight, 10, 12, 14 level fusions that don't work. So I just have to tell you two stories to illustrate my point. So I have one girl, her name is Esty. She's in my book, 32 years old, chronic pain for 10 years, just spiraling downhill like crazy. She came to our workshop at Omega Institute in New York. In one week, she was pain-free. She had had six injections, 10 doctors, high-dose narcotics, and in one week, she was pain-free. Now, the next year was up and down, and she learned the tools to stay out of pain. Mm -hmm. But six or seven years later, she has two beautiful kids. She's married, zero pain, and just thriving, like you know how people can thrive. Yep. In contrast, I just ran across a woman. I haven't met her personally, but my physiatrist friend is taking care of her. She's 26 years old. So by definition, you sort of have a normal spine at age 26, right? Quote, unquote, Some normal. Surgeon yeah. back east fused her from her skull to her pelvis. Yeah. Think about that. So this is where medicine has really gone astray. Because, I mean, why would putting a rod in your... So she can't turn her head. She can't flex her neck. She can't turn her body. She now has two steel rods in her back from her skull all the way to her pelvis. So she's going to spend her life, spend the rest of her life in a surgical straitjacket. Yeah. So hundreds of thousands of dollars, she'll be disabled the rest of her life compared to Esty, who in one week with, with probably not as a normal as fine as this girl who had the head to, head to pelvis fusion. Yeah. So that's what's happening in medicine right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I, I did tell uh, my watchers that I was going to have you on this week and i asked if they had any questions do you mind if i ask you some oh yeah no absolutely i think it's it's good because it we won't be so heady we'll we'll answer things simply um okay so here's one what are the steps you take to inform patients that their pain is neuroplastic rather than structural so what do you do to decide that 
Well, I mean, it's an educational process because people really think if they hurt, there must be something wrong. Well, guess what? There is something wrong. Your body's inflamed. Mm -hmm. So I do talk about the terms how the body responds to threats with the inflammation, you double the nerve conduction. But I also don't try to teach it in one session. I mean, once you understand the problem, you go, well, why do we ever think it was structural? So if you're my patient, I say, look, um, I, I, the reason I wrote the book is I, first of all, could not explain it in one session. Second of all, I was getting worn out. So I finally said, look, here's the book. I'll see you back in two weeks. So then the book itself goes through the sequence about chronic pain evolves as a neurological disorder. The body memorizes the pain. It's like riding a bicycle. Now, Howard and I agree, Howard Schumann and I agree on the concepts. We disagree on the language. So Howard wrote a book called Unlearn Your Pain. Mm -hmm. So my point is, at looks like riding a bicycle. These are permanently embedded circuits. So there's ways of actually working through them and past them. It's just a terminology difference, but your body memorizes the pain. Again, phantom limb pain is a classic example. So pain education is a big deal. Yeah. And once you understand the problem though, and the physiology, yeah. most people go, okay. I also tell people not to believe me. Why would I say that? Because healing has to do with um, your own uh, mental process. You're healing yourself. Yeah, that's a perfect answer. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the deal. I mean, okay, you've been bounced from a medical system. Here's David Haskell. Here's a set of concepts. And the way you connect your own capacity to heal is you just connect to what's in there, whether you can, whether it's good, pleasant, unpleasant, it doesn't matter. So you want to believe me, and, and healing doesn't occur from generating belief in David Hanscom or the Doc Journey or some other healer. It's about connecting to your own capacity to heal, whatever is real within you. So you've been bounced around the medical system, you're really frustrated, you're really angry. And so I'm not asking you to believe this stuff. I'm asking you to just open your mind enough to start learning. That's all. Because the body's always designed to look out for danger. That's what it's supposed to do. And so people say, well, just generate enough belief in this. It's going to be healing. Well, it doesn't work because you're using rational means to deal with these massive survival circuits. To remember, we're trying to calm down the physiology. We're trying to put you into safe physiology as opposed to fight or flight. So healing occurs and change the body's physiology. So I don't spend much time explaining pain initially other than what people want to hear. So they'll just get you calmed down. But the other problem is let's get your brain back online. Because when you're frustrated and angry, I can talk with you forever. Yeah. And it's not going to work, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I, I want to echo that because we're talking a lot about what all we're talking about the the pain and symptoms that the body can produce, but we're also our main goal is that there is so much hope. You can calm down your physiology and we can recover from from this, from whatever your symptoms are through, again, that through the brain, right? Well, can I correct you on that a little bit? Sure. So I don't use the word mind body anymore because I have okay. learned in the last couple of years is that every cell can live by itself. We have 30 trillion cells in the human body, 30 trillion. And so what happens is that there's a huge amount of communication that the cells are sending signals to the brain through cytokines and through the nerves, the brain's processing it and sending it back. So it's just one unit response. Yeah. So you can't fly a Boeing jet without a computer and you can't run the body without a nervous system. And so everything's just enmeshed. So the, the trouble with mind body implies there's something to do with your brain that's separate from your body. Yeah. And the brain's incredibly physiological. There's 80 billion nerve cells. Each neuron is connected to 10,000 other neurons. The neurons don't even touch each other. They're, they're separated by what's called little spaces called synapses. Right. And so you have 80 billion nerve cells connected to 10,000 other cells. They, they communicate with each other through cytokines and neurotransmitters, which are similar to cytokines. So the brain is incredibly physiologic. So the term mind-body implies it's a separation in the first place. Yeah. And can we talk about dynamic healing just for a second? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So try to think of the body as a unit response to a threat. So the threat can be physical or mental. It can be personal or societal. It can be financial relationship. A threat is a threat. And the reaction to the body is the same. Humans have a problem is that thoughts are also a threat 
that creates the same physiology. Unfortunately, suppressed thoughts are even worse. They corrupt the physiology even more. Yeah. So basically what dynamic healing says is that you, you have your input or your stresses, then you have your nervous system that receives the signals. So there's the input, your nervous system, then the output is your physiology. Yes. You mean fight or flight or threat response or safety, or what we call rest and digest. And so your body's default mode is threat. In other words, your body's responsibility is to keep you alive. So this threat response, when you're, again, let's talk about thoughts are your biggest threat because we can't escape your thoughts. You cannot escape our consciousness. They're constant. They're suppressing us even worse. So a few of us are coming around to the way of thinking that probably the essence of all chronic pain are unprocessed thoughts. It's the same physiology. We know it's processed the same part of the brain, is repetitious. Everybody has to deal with them. And remember the stresses that are the most stressful, the stresses that you can't escape. Yeah. So a dynamic healing says that you process your input or stresses differently. You can increase the resiliency of your nervous system. And you can directly lower the output of the physiology. So you have three portals of intervention. Can I, okay, so can I ask you this, this idea of, of subconscious thoughts or unconscious thoughts and, um, and the feel to heal? So with people who are healing from chronic pain, we always want to get to those. Right. What's happening, what is happening physiologically that changes as we experience them? Why, why does it make it, why does that calm down our physiology um, as we feel them? Well, it depends what portal you're using. So the, the end of the day, you want to be in safety physiology, right? Yeah. Okay. So in safety, you're full of oxytocin, the love drug. There's dopamine, rewards, serotonin, growth hormone, anti-inflammatory cytokines. Your cortisol levels are down. So you're actually putting fuel into the cells instead of taking fuel out. So in fight or flight, you have inflammatory cytokines. You're taking fuel out. You're full of adrenaline, noradrenaline, histamines. So your body's on fire. So the way you can directly change the physiology is, for instance, you want to stimulate what's called the vagus nerve. Yep. So the vagus nerve goes to every organ in the body. It's, the, it's a nerve that starts in your midbrain called the cranial nerve. It's the 10th cranial nerve. Mm -hmm. This is what Dr. Portis has written so much about is that it's the most powerful anti-inflammatory process in the body. So actually, essentially what you're doing to heal is stimulating the vagus nerve. So what you can do is breath work mm -hmm. actually stimulates the vagus nerve. Certain pitches of music, rubbing your forehead stimulates the fifth cranial nerve, which stimulates the vagus nerve. Humming stimulates the seventh cranial nerve, which stimulates the vagus nerve. So there's a bunch of ways of stimulating the vagus nerve that directly lowers the physiology. Yeah, okay. So remember, it's a million, one, million to one ratio of this threat response compared to your rational brain. So again, the output, you can directly lower the physiology, which doesn't last very long. But in other words, on a given moment, you use it a lot. Yep. So the middle part, the nervous system, is that if your brain's hyperactive, it takes less stress to set off the physiology. Mm -hmm. So is the question, is your brain hypervigilant or is your brain calm? So we do know the data shows very deeply, as you well know, that if you come from a, from a chaotic, abusive childhood, it affects your health the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. yeah. so the metaphor I like to use is that of a feral cat that's raised in the wild has no protection has to take care of itself it's very hard to tame that cat and takes very little stress to get that cat on high alert right the cat's on high alert all mm -hmm. the time yeah so if you're raised in that background it's like you're a feral cat and so there's ways of actually calming down the nervous system so you can do diet anti-inflammatory diet makes a difference Exercise makes a huge difference. Sleep is huge, mm -hmm. a big one. Yeah. And then as far as this feral cat mode is that trauma therapy is really helpful and you can't fix your past. So you have to, you have to train, you have to rebuild your nervous system. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not so much that trauma is the ultimate answer, but it's also for some people a necessary answer because some people, since emotional pain is processed the same way as physical pain, their trauma is so severe, they just can't deal with it. I mean, why do you want to feel pain? And so if you don't have the capacity to process pain, you just can't deal with it. 
So Dr. Alan Abbas out of Canada pointed out that 80% of the people referred in for chronic pain in his practice are so frail and so traumatized that they have no capacity to heal. They can't do it. Mm. So again, that's, that's where you want to increase the resiliency of your nervous system. And the final part, which is hard, but not so hard, not so simple, the input. Remember, the most stressful stress is the stress we can't control, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I, one of the things we ask people to do is never discuss their pain. Yeah. Unless you're medical care, don't discuss yep. your pain because it just, it just fires up your phys physiology. No complaining, no giving unasked for advice, no criticism. Because what does it do to your nervous system? Puts it so on edge. Yeah, quit watching the news. Stop it. Don't watch violent movies. So mm -hmm. we also know that simply watching TV has been documented to be inflammatory. And it correlates to the hours or day of watching TV. So independent of all the risk factors, watching TV is an independent risk factor that predicts early mortality. Interesting. Okay. So then like mindfulness, for instance, you simply go from racing thoughts to a different sensation. So you go from racing thoughts that are unpleasant or suppressed to a different sensation, you've actually dropped the physiology. Yeah. You can shift attention. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy changes the input. Yeah. And you've heard of this process called expressive writing. Mm -hmm. So again, you've changed the input because you've now separated from your thoughts. Yeah. And the final one I'll talk about really briefly is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness is input. Remember, anger is just a hyperactivated threat response, not psychological, it's a physiological state. So if you want to hold on to something in your brain from 30 years ago, the way your brain works, you must be right there in the situation right now today. 90% of people in chronic pain are still angry about the situation or person that injured them. Right. But you know the person that they're most angry with? Themselves. Themselves. So the worst source of anger is actually perfectionism and being self-critical. Yeah. Yeah. So as we teach people how to process, so we have the input. So dynamic healing says when the input, you press it, learn how to process input differently, you increase the resiliency of the nervous system you lower the physiology, that's how you heal. Yeah. Um, you have talked about the five, three, two, when it comes to the physiology of, of anger. Right. Um, can you just unpack the five, three, two a little bit? So anytime you're anxious or frustrated, something in the present reminded you of something from the past that was dangerous or upsetting. Yeah. So awareness is being connected to the present moment. So when you're anxious or frustrated, you're actually there. You're not here anymore. Yeah. And then we also know the metabolism goes from the thinking center centers to the survival centers. So all you can do is that you cannot control, you cannot control anxiety or anger. You have no chance, zero. So what you have to do is give yourself some space. So I have a little saying called five words, no action in a reaction. So all you can do is recognize, okay, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. My brain is not online. So no matter what you do, don't say anything, don't do anything, just get out of the room. Yeah. So then you might notice that when you've actually calmed down, the situation that gets you so upset just sort of seems to resolve a lot of the time. Hmm. But when you're in the reaction, it's just like the most important thing in the world. Yeah. So no action and reaction. <clears throat> the second thing is that anger is so powerful, it's so addicting, it's so necessary, nobody ever wants to give it up. So this is a tool that you use every day, multiple times a day. We call it being triggered. So something triggers anxiety or anger. Again, you're in the past, you're not in the present. So at a certain point, it's so powerful, you can talk to a counselor all day long. You'll never, ever want to give up anger. It's powerful. So we call it flip the switch. So, okay, you let things calm down, but don't flip the switch till you're ready to move on. What I mean, you just change direction. Okay, I'm tired of being a victim done. I'm going to go a different direction. And the final two word is just move on. Yeah. So there's two parts to healing. One is learn how to process anger and anxiety. The other part is moving into the life that you want. And if you're moving into the life that you want to compensate for anxiety and anger, it can't work. It's not going to work because there's such a mismatch of unconscious versus conscious brain. So as you learn to nurture joy, that's where the healing really occurs. 
It's like learning French. You have to practice French to learn French. You're not going to yeah. learn French by trying to not speak or correct your English. So the default language for humans is survival and to move into the life that you want. I, I have a little saying that to have a good life, you must live a good life. You have to yeah. practice it. Practice joy. I like that. Right. Yeah. And and not as like an answer to your pain, but as it just it's it's what I want for my life. Right. Right. And so I do want to jump into the final answer for chronic pain. And so I call it the spiritual journey and it can take many forms. It, it can be religious, community, friends, good food, good wine, just things in life you can immerse yourself and enjoy. In other words, regain your perspective. And so the more you move into those circuits, the farther you move away from pain circuits. Yeah. And so it turns out that regaining your perspective in life is really, really critical. And that's where Bruce Lipton and I, and I, we're putting together four videos right now that'll be released next week, I think, where he has a book called The Biology of Belief, as you well know, and your belief systems affect your biology. It affects your white blood cell production, it affects your inflammatory response, mm -hmm. it affects yeah. everything. And so it's not, it, again, it's physiological, not psychological. Mm. Okay. Okay, so um, yeah, there's a lot, there's so much good stuff here, so much good stuff. I do, I wanna go back and ask a couple more questions that watchers Absolutely. asked, mm -hmm. um, just because I told them that I would. Uh, so there's three more. Okay. Um, is it possible to have neuroplastic pain, have surgery and the pain reduce? Is this due to the placebo effect or parts of their pain actually structural? If there's pain reduction so and it's neuroplastic pain okay so there's like three different layers to this question i'm trying to make it as simple as possible so pain is only perceived in the nervous system if you didn't have a nervous system you would not have pain second of all after six to 12 months all pain is memorized in other words it's all neuroplastic mm -hmm. after six to 12 months even if there's a structural problem it's still neuroplastic pain so if you do surgery without dealing with the neuroplastic component, it's not gonna work. So surgery done in the presence of neuroplastic pain, even if it's indicated, actually doesn't work. It's like working, I mean, how do you operate on phantom limb pain? Yeah. So first of all, as a physician, I'm hyper about making sure there's not a structural problem. That if there's a structural problem, we still calm down the nervous system first, no matter what, we call it prehab. Then I had over 120 patients my last five years of my practices. We did what we call prehab on everybody. They canceled their surgeries. Yeah. New people with structural problems, really tightly pinched nerves. And I essentially put myself out of business. So I, I, it was amazing. So I was not expecting that. So the answer is, and we use the word placebo. Medicine has really destroyed that term. I know it's a good thing. SIBO just means you just connect your own body's capacity to heal. It is the body's healing capacity. Yeah. And people will say, doctors have misconstrued say, well, if it's placebo, that means there's nothing wrong in the first place. There is nothing that could be farther from the truth. Yeah. So the essence of healing is connected to your own capacity to heal. In other words, get out of your own way. Again, connect to your disbelief, not your belief. And then start letting your body heal itself. What do you mean by that? Connect to your disbelief and like I said before, you're connecting to what is. So again, you've been bounced around medical system, you're angry, you're frustrated. And the people that don't do well are the ones that say, Well, I'm fine. I'm not angry. I'm not frustrated. Yeah. I'm fine. And that positive thinking is a terrible way of suppressing negative thinking, which really fires up the physiology. So by connecting ah. with what is, which is disbelief. I mean, if you've been through the medical system for five years and are still chronic pain. Why would you believe me? Yeah. Right? And again, people say, well, if I just believe David Hanscom enough, I'm going to heal. It's the opposite. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, I, don't, I yeah. hope I'm trying to explain this more clearly, honestly. Yeah. So I mean, it's the antithesis of suppressing your emotions, even when it comes to your emotions related to healing. Right. And then the, one of the core components of my process is, which, which I think most of us are doing now that have the same concept is expressive writing. So write it down. Yeah. I mean, that's where the piece of paper comes out is that it gives up the need for mental control. Yeah. You can't control your thoughts, but you're separating. So that's where you just get these thoughts on paper, not to get tharsome, 
because these circuits are, your disbelief circuits are permanent, by the way. I know my circuit to say my stove when it's turned on is hot. Those are permanently embedded circuits. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. So anyway, um, we covered a lot of, that's a big answer. That's a lot of, I mean, that's again with the whole doctrine he does. It goes through the sequence of just starting some tools to get your brain back online. Starts going behind the principles of healing. It goes into anxiety, then awareness, and then anger. Is a sequence is really critical. Because yeah. you can't go from pain to healing without understanding the process. It's also like learning to become a piano player, concert pianist, or a major league baseball player. Yeah. So I say, look, if you're not here to fix your pain, where's your attention? It's on the pain. So from a neuroplasticity, from a neuroplasticity standpoint, trying to fix your pain actually reinforces it. So what you're trying to yeah. do is lose your time in fight or flight and maximize your time in safety. So I talk about becoming a professional at living your life. So you yeah. become professional and skilled at processing anger and anxiety. You become very skilled at nurturing joy. There are two separate skills. They're obviously tightly linked. And then teach repetition, 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 because it, you can't change your brain without repetition. So we're all programmed with a lot of negativity. So you're going to program your brain with the alternatives. Yeah. That's why I say to live a good life, you have to have a good life, you must live a good life. Yeah. Practice. Yep. And and when when you've lived in chronic pain for so long, right? Um, setting that new vision of the life that you want to have is is just such an important step of it. And then devoting that energy that we're talking about towards that that life and cultivating it. Yeah, it's powerful. Right, you do have to break loose enough from the pain to actually start cultivating that vision. Yeah. And we're just finding out these massive survival circuits. You have no energy. Yeah. So you don't know what your vision is anymore. Right. So that pain relationship. Woo. Right. What's that? That pain relationship. Right. It's, it's something. Yeah. No, it's yeah. a big one. So. Okay. So here's a, a one more. Since most people form back ailments as we age through imaging and other tools, are there ways to distinguish structural pain from neuroplastic? For example, are there ways to distinguish a normal aging back and spine from one that has true abnormalities to the patient's pain? The only, okay, there are structural problems causing back pain. It's been documented in the literature maybe 5% of the time. So those are tumors, broken bones, and infection. There are no degenerative changes that have ever been shown to cause back pain. None. And what do you mean by shown? Can you just talk about that a little bit more? So How do we know that? The research shows if you take 100 people off the street that, that are, say, 60 years old or older, yeah. 100% of them have, these have no back pain. You ever had back pain? So bone spurs, degenerative arthritis, ruptured disc, herniated disc, bulging disc, all those are, these people have 100% chance that those will exist in a person who's 60 years old and no back pain. Yeah. Okay. And so they have people in their 20s and 30s with complete normal spines and extreme back pain. Yeah. So back pain is not a structural problem. It is always physiological. So you have inflammation, which hurts. People say, well, there's nothing wrong. That's not true. When your body's inflamed, there's a lot wrong. Every cell in your body is inflamed. There's right. a lot wrong. Right. So remember, it takes physiology to have symptoms. Yeah. So just the bones for sitting there, so your spine stiffer as you get older. I can't jump like I used to jump. My, I've lost two inches of height. My discs are all degenerated and collapsed. I've had two back surgeries. I have no back pain. So your abilities change. Yeah. And your structure yeah, changes slightly, but we don't have to have pain with it. Right. And then we didn't cover this today, but again, if I'm a surgeon and you came to me with, say, a ruptured disc and a pinched nerve, and the pain was moderate, it was chronic, you're getting really frustrated. When I give people a choice, say, look, I can do surgery to get rid of your leg pain, or we can work on your anxiety. People can sort of deal with the pain, but they can't deal with the anxiety. Yeah, I know. So yeah. the, really the mental pain is a quite a bit bigger problem than the physical pain. Yeah. Obviously, people say, well, if I get rid of the pain surgically, will my anxiety go away? And the answer is no. Yeah. They're, they're only partially connected. Yeah, I said this in my interview with Howard Schubiner, but um, I, when I healed, I healed emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and finally physically. And if I, and, and 
and the ones that I'm most thankful for are these top three. Well, but also like what the research is now showing, in other words, it's been there for a long time, but what we're uncovering that everything you mentioned is all the same thing. It is. Yeah, it is. We have, we, humans have a to describe it, but yeah. when, you're in fight, when you're in safety physiology, you feel contentment, you feel safe, you feel fulfilled. I mean, that's what you want to do. Your quality of life is actually dependent on your physiology. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one last question. Um, she, it's Ashley. She says, good morning. I'm a 29-year-old female and had a C5, C6 next fusion surgery last year. My question is, what do I do now since I've had the surgery? I'm working on strength training ECT. I feel like a lot of interviews are just about preventing surgery, but what if you already made the choice and went through with it and wish you wouldn't have? What is his take on how to stay healthy and prevent any more issues? So this is why I quit spine surgery. <clears throat> so, I mean, there are reasons to do a neck surgery in somebody at that age, which is pretty rare by the way. But the only reason in my practice to do neck surgery in the situation is somebody, if the spinal cord's being pinched by a bone spur or a ruptured disc, and you're having what's called myelopathy. In other words, your hands are tingling, fingers tingling, you're not walking well, you have to do surgery. And that would make sense. What never works is doing neck surgery for neck pain. Mm -hmm. never because the, the pain's out here i mean and your trapezius muscles and fascia layers are loaded with pain fibers and it's right by your head it's very uncomfortable it's very frustrating but again it's a chronic inflammatory myofascial pain and surgery never works for the pain so if, if you have ongoing pain the process is exactly the same i have one gentleman now who said 28 surgeries in 20 years he was in chronic pain for 20 years he has now been pain-free now for six years. I did not think this was possible, by the way, to actually go, I thought after one or two, three, four operations that people aren't gonna get better. And I now have multiple, multiple patients with multiple surgeries who've gone to pain-free. Here's the problem. Okay, remember healing occurs when you're in safety physiology. Mm -hmm. And when you're angry and frustrated, you're in fight or flight physiology. Uh -huh. So when people go through surgery, uh -huh. but they didn't work, guess what? They're not very happy with the surgeon. Nope. They're not happy with themselves to make the decision. And it's a deep anger. Mm -hmm. And so there's a person I worked with. Her name is Dana. And her partner, Kusana, just made a film called Love Heals. Have you heard of this film yet? Mm-mm, haven't. Oh, Love Heals. Um, Dr. Ari and myself are part of this film. So it was Bruce Lipton and Fred Luskin, who wrote the book Forgive for Good. So they interviewed us, interviewed us for the film, but Dana, somebody who had two back surgeries, I can't say she did or didn't need the first operation. I mean, so I wasn't there, I wasn't the physician, I'm not gonna second guess that. She okay. had a complication that was pretty un, unhappy. Hmm. And so when she started working with me, it took her about a year to get better and she keeps continuing to get better. And now she's probably 80% pain-free after two or three years of work. She now created this film with her own journey and when we started to film her, her partner is a documentary filmmaker, they had no idea how she's going to do. So they weren't really planning on her healing. They just started documenting their misery being in pain. Now she's back hiking. She's helping other people heal. She's created this film. She's completely exploded and expanded her life. So again, that's the, but again, one of the things we had to work on, which I've worked with many patients like this, you're angry at the surgeon or situation that caused the problem made it worse. Or yourself too. Yeah. And so, I mean, one level fusion is not a horrible operation compared to some of these multiple level fusions we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. So the answer is you just do exactly the same thing. Acknowledge the frustration you have at yourself and the situation, the medical profession for doing an operation that you probably didn't need. And you're right about call you, do you really need a spine surgery? So it really clarifies how to make the decision real. Yeah, there you go. So it changes, it makes a decision. So even though you've had the surgery, it's worth looking at the book because you can see where you went wrong, but also summarizes what you can do going forward. Yeah. So the answer yeah. is if your pain is still there, surgery probably wasn't helpful. Probably not a lot of damage to your spine. Some, again, some operations are much more damaging, but it's the exact same process. Yeah. And to work with the physiology. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's very hopeful. Okay, well, it is 8.05. Um, do you have any final words of encouragement for our watchers today? 
Well, again, the, the data for chronic disease, and I'd like, like to come off chronic pain and just talk about chronic disease. So I had over 17 symptoms myself when I was in chronic pain, so to speak. I had migraine headaches, my ears were ringing, my feet were burning, there were skin rashes over my whole body. Um, I, I was sick. Every one of those symptoms is gone. Because again, when you're in fight or flight, every cell in your body is completely enveloped. And then chronic diseases, cancer, Alzheimer's, all these things are inflammatory disorders. So once you understand the problem is incredibly solvable. So if people with autoimmune disorders halt the disease, it just disappears because your inflammatory process has gone down. Wait, can you say that again about autoimmune diseases? I have one physician right now in the, in the, on our group who is, has a disease called ankylosing spondylitis. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this mm -hmm. disease? Yeah, I've heard of it. I'm not. Like, it's like rheumatoid arthritis of your spine. Your spine turns into a solid piece of bone. It's so inflamed. So you, <laughs> so here's the deal. So you have inflammatory spine disease. You go to the doctor. There's quote nothing wrong because the X-rays look normal. But all of a sudden, five five years later, your entire spine is turned into a solid piece of bone. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously something wrong back early on because your body your body was inflamed. Your tissues are now becoming calcified. It's called bamboo spine. Turns into a solid piece of bone. And so she had it. lots of pain, lots of all sorts of stuff. So she can't undo her spine being fused. Her spine fused on its own. Wow. But she completely halted the progress. She has no pain and she's doing fine. So once you can actually reverse your body's physiology, your physical symptoms will disappear. Your mental symptoms will resolve. And it is a day-to-day -day dynamic process. So chronic disease is stoppable, sometimes reversible. And chronic pain is one of those. It is absolutely a solvable problem once you understand the problem. That's so again, I, the reason why I think I've been successful in getting people better, because I've spent 15 years of chronic pain myself, yeah. the book Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain is based on a millimeter by millimeter step of my journey out of the hole, which was not very pretty, mm -hmm. totally miserable. I almost didn't make it. So I understand where most people are. I mean, everybody's different, but the process outline just represents that crawling out of the hole. And it's a bit of a story how that evolved. But anyway, that's how the book has evolved. I never, and, and I don't want to throw my colleagues under the bus because if I hadn't gone through the process myself, I would, I would have no insights into this. Right. right. I mean, I'm a surgeon. I fix things. I do things. So we're just not trained very well. And then again, this new process called the DLC journey, direct your own care journey is a sequence that takes you through the process. And that, did, did you know that I also have an app called the, the doc journey app? No, I didn't know that. Okay. So I can send you the material if you want my yeah, and I can put it in the show notes. notes. Is that it's an app based on our workshops. It's based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. And we found out in our workshops within three to five days, people probably 80% of people go to pain-free in the workshop. And we didn't know why. Mm. But it's a structured approach, social connection. We now know it's anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. Oxytocin is the is the drug that gets secreted. It's very anti-inflammatory. So yeah, the app is very entertaining. Um, we have dancing kitties. My wife is a tap dancer. So all sorts of stuff on the app. So it's an experiential app that's been very helpful and maybe a little bit more accessible to people than the than the doc journey. Okay. So those are things. Those are resources. Very self-directed. And I don't hold it up as the final solution. It gives you the foundational approach that when you choose additional treatments, you can layer them on. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it gives you a very great, good foundational base. But I just want to tell you, just really let you know, I was in really bad shape. So were you. Yeah. I don't know about you, but we're doing pretty well. Absolutely thriving. So we're both of us right now, today, are living testimonials that chronic pain is a solvable problem. Yep. 100%. It is. Take great hope. Yeah. Um, great. So check out the app. It's called the, is this it called the Doc? App. It's both in, you know, we call it Doc Journey app. Okay. Journey app. And then it's in Google store. It's also in Apple. And so you have to go to the site and just download it. Okay. And then the Doc Journey um, is um, just go to the DLCjourney.com and it's a computer-based course. 
lots of videos, lots of interaction, lots of education, but the sequencing is the critical part. Mm. And so to me, it's like assembling a giant jigsaw puzzle. A lot of you already done a lot of work, you know, a lot of the concepts, but you want to assemble it into a workable scenario. Yeah. yeah. Love it. It's great. Good for the brain to have that yeah. organization. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. David Hanscom. It was just lovely having you. I love it. Yeah, thank you. I had a good, great time. Thank you. All right. Thanks everybody for watching and I will see you again next week. Bye.